Hiya. This is just a quick message before the episode starts. Just two things. Um, I got Ryan's name wrong. Ryan Philp of Daikin. Great fella. I just hadn't read his name properly. So I got it wrong. Um, we correct it in the episode, but uh, I just wanted to make it clear up front. And just heads up, there are a couple of problems with Jeff's microphone. It was a bit all over the place. So sometimes it goes a bit weak. Sometimes it gets better. Shouldn't affect how you enjoy the episode. Uh, so I'll just let that crack on. All right. Cheers. Bye. All right. So shall we kick off? I'll just do a little bit of intro. Who you are that we've got you in. What job title? What is your job title, in fact? Um, um, just just, just go like probably business development is like the simplest kind of term to use, to be honest. It's changed quite a lot over the, over the few <laughs> last couple of years. Yeah, because I saw business development, I think, on LinkedIn, but it sort of doesn't feel quite right because what you're doing is something. In fact, let's talk about that. Right. So welcome to Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability, the built environment and zero carbon goals. Today, it's myself, Alex and Jeff with Ryan Phillip from Daikin, heat pump manufacturer. And you probably do a lot more than that, but it's the the heat pumps that we're, we're interested in today. Just interrupting, just to be clear, it's Ryan Philp, not Philip, like I said before. So the reason why we're talking to you, Ryan, uh, so welcome, um, is uh, Duncan Smith, our erstwhile colleague, uh, he shared the your article, Heat Pumps Are Not The Answer, like a marvellous little piece of polemic, making the case for and undermining the case in a positive manner for heat pumps which I thought was great. Yeah, nice to have you here. Hello. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've I've listened to your podcast for quite a while, actually, and you've had some really some really big names on. So uh, when I had the opportunity to kind of speak to Duncan and he highlighted that he found my article interesting, uh, I was quite sure. I, did, I didn't want to be like, are you sure? Because the, the opportunity <laughs> to speak to you guys, I didn't want to risk losing it. But um, yeah, no, thank you so much. It was definitely... I've, uh, over COVID, I just kind of started being at home and not having a social life. Just started kind of like writing articles about kind of the work I was doing, etc., and what we're seeing happen in the industry. And then this was something that it, it kind of built up over the last few months plus. But um, this is something I toyed with with the with the title for a while because although I do believe heat pumps are such a big part of the solution, uh, I was kind of hoping to buy into that clickbait title element um and and unfortunately it, it did work but yeah i mean the responses were fantastic and um i, I hope i can positively contribute towards kind of the, the, the message and the direction in which the industry is trying to go we were just talking about this off the record that job title is Hang on, off the record you sound like a yeah. crab to you from a lower low down <laughs> sorry yeah i mean I, off the I mean, record yeah yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean not recording, but yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, doubly confused. Anyway, right, yeah. So uh, your job title's uh, business development, but like that doesn't feel appropriate, really. Because like 
You do. You appear to be doing business more undermining. That. Yeah, that's what <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably biz- business degrowth um, rather than development. Um, that's what we need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's maybe another podcast in itself, isn't it? Um, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I work at uh, Dyke in UK. We're we're an affiliate of Dyke in Europe, who are part of a wider global organisation, which is Dyke in Industries, like global leading manufacturer in terms of HVAC equipment. Um, with working for a global organization, you can't just pick and choose some wonderful job title, um, as, as you see happening all over the place at the moment. But LinkedIn does give you that flexibility that you can put whatever title you fancy. So I think my LinkedIn title is sustainability, green building specialist type type situation, heat pump extraordinaire lover of of technology. But the, the job title itself is, is yeah, business development. And there's there's a huge remit of what I have to do, which is absolutely business development. It's, it's you know partnering with various different actors across the supply chain to you know to help essentially grow our business, but but do so in a in a credible way. We're not just trying to push units. Um, but I think given what our products are, which are renewables, it's it's at the moment with the way the market is changing, it's quite a um, it's quite an easy easy sell dare I say that the technology itself is in such demand regardless of the manufacturer that it puts me in a really nice position that I can kind of have these kind of conversations and it it all contributes towards trying to get that message out to promote to promote things in the right direction where are we at in the UK now in, in terms of um because I, I have data uh, I can I can I can get really good uh, mine data on the Irish market uh, through uh this, the statutory body that's responsible for our equivalent of energy performance certificates in Ireland. And it's the same software that's used as in the UK to generate, to show, show compliance with part L that's that tool. Uh, you can, you can download it and, and go into it in kind of granular detail on uh, the specs on new homes and, and, and retrofit existing homes. And in Ireland, for instance, we're now in the situation where uh, in the region of 80 to 90% at any given time, of new homes being built are are heated by heat pumps, which is a huge transformation, you know. But that's that's been achieved. That has just re- just the last couple of years really has changed the building regulations, you know. So uh, where where are we at in terms of heat pump penetration in the UK now? Do you know, just it's really interesting. Um, with the mess with, with commercial properties, you know, heat pumps are, are all over the place, and and um, there's there's huge market growth there and huge market penetration on the commercial sectors um mainly because when we talk about heat pumps that includes and is not limited to air conditioning um it's the same technology that can be providing your your heating and or cooling on the domestic market it's completely different obviously the building regulations are in in the process of changing at the moment so you've got the future home standards which are currently being worked on and i'm involved with the future homes hub to kind of work on dissemination of information research white papers etc but you had the future homes you had the Part L interim uplift, which was help helping essentially house builders build to standards, which which helped achieve kind of like a thirty percent reduction in carbon emissions against the baseline. The twenty twenty five essentially works to get to an eight seventy to eighty percent reduction in carbon emissions. But part of those standards says that you can't be connected to gas. So at actual data and actual, you know, where are we at that kind of that market information? I, I don't specifically know. I don't think they share it in the same I way. Not, the authorities. Um, um no but the but the 
the volume house builders are all doing uh, extensive work to kind of look at kind of the supply, getting their supply chains ready so that they can start engaging with the likes of ourselves. Many trial sites are already underway. Many of the volume house builders, you know, like your top 10, Barrett's, the Vistries of the world, you know, et cetera, they've already got trial sites with, you know, 200 plus heat pumps going in. Many of them are working with the University of Salford as well. So they've got energy yeah. house and energy house. Yeah, they're great work here. Yeah. So there's, there is a lot of work going on there. Um, we all want it to happen quicker, obviously, but there's there's a lot that needs to be done to get heat pumps into houses. And it's not as simple as just fuel switching. It's also making sure the whole supply chain from the engineers installing them to you know the sales agents who are selling the properties, they've all got that information and support as to how the house is going to operate differently. I mean, it can happen pretty quickly though. It's a mature technology in lots of markets, right? Um, even, even in an Irish context, you know, and when I was talking about 18 to 90%, I'm specifically talking about dwellings, by the way. Um, and that's from a situation where our regs are already probably where yours are going to be. We, um, we, um, we've implemented our version of the nearly zero energy building standard required by the EU um, a couple of years ago. And that, that requires a 70% energy and carbon reduction compared to our baseline, which would have been similar to yours. Um, um, and, and you know what? The industry just got on with it. There have been problems, and there will be problems. Um, there are certainly issues here and there. Um, yeah, what's, uh, the, and what's the quality of installation like? Because like volume is one thing, but if you're installing like things that don't work everywhere, yeah, I know. Well, you just don't <laughs> ask the question, right? You run away. You, <laughs> Usually, you just all in yeah. Vegas. Yeah, so that's yeah, all right. Yeah. No, it's 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 generally not too bad. I think. Um, I mean, there are issues. That, that there's uh, it's a bit kind of cart before horse horse in some ways. So there's um, there's a course more courses being developed now. Uh, you know, to, to train up more installers. Um, one of the things that's helped, I think, is that um, that most of the market for in residential in Ireland um, is monoblock units rather than split. And a monoblock basically has all of the refrigerants contained in the outdoor unit, which means you don't need a, a special what they call an F gas engineer to install it. So uh, that because you know, you're not doing actual refrigeration work on site, whereas the split you'd have actual refrigeration pipe work going in from outside. Two indoors and, and more there's more scope for leakage and so on um, and um, so that has helped things but I think there are significant issues with regard to I mean servicing uh, is is the, is the is probably the area that we need to see most focus I should actually declare as well because I haven't really said anything about this uh, I have recently agreed to become uh, after a few, I was asked a few years ago and turned it down but I've been uh, I was asked to become the chair of the Heat Pump Association of Ireland. And um, I know I, I'm a journalist in the space, so there are kind of issues there to, to, to reconcile. But uh, on balance, I felt that uh, there was a seriousness from the association willingness to kind of properly engage and to try to, to implement high standards. And I felt that, that there'd be an opportunity uh, to, uh, to, 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 to help progress things in that regard. So that's, it's just one of, one of my hats and, yeah. and, um, and are- see how that works out officially compromised by a big heat pump in terms of our podcast's integrity now yeah i know um it's i i we i took a long way time to reach the kind of conclusions that i have um with regard to heat pumps um and i still it's not a silver bullet technology as i think ryan would would accept as well um, nothing is frankly um but it's increasingly the evidence is increasingly clear that uh that when you uh have a with a bunch of caveats attached to it it's kind of it's a very important technology in, in terms of, of decarbonization can i ask a, a slight naive question brian but we we mentioned this as if it was a, a given but why is it such a good technology it's that's a really good question um 
And if you work in the industry, you just kind of move past that because it's kind of the fundamentals of what we just exactly and know. But if you're someone who's not within the industry, or if you are in the industry but you're not mechanically biased, then you know it's a, it's a very pertinent question. It's a really good solution. It's no silver bullet. It's not going to be the perfect solution for every house type and every archetype, but it is it is a very good solution. The reason for that is because primarily energy efficiency is is really the biggest driver. So aside from the fact that we're fuel switching, so moving away, you know, we're not burning gas. Um, so that gets us onto the grid <laughs> and providing the grid is fully decarbonized, then then it's renewable. But because of the, the components within the product and um, the, the way that we use the refrigerants, you've got the refrigerant cycle, which goes across compressors, plate heat exchangers, evaporators, et cetera. You've got a really high efficiency. So like conservatively, we would say a standard boiler versus a standard heat pump. A heat pump can be three times more efficient. In the heat pump world, we use um, the term which is COP or coefficient of performance instead, because if you said to... I had this conversation with my mum the other day and I was explaining to her heat pump is 300% efficient. And she's like, well, how can it be 300% efficient? Um, and that's where we, we start to use COP. So um, essentially the output in kilowatts, the amount of heat you can get out of a unit could be three kilowatts worth of energy, but you're only putting in one kilowatt of electrical energy and you're absorbing two kilowatts of, of energy from if it's an air source heat pump from from the air or if it's ground or water source then you're you're, you're absorbing that from a water loop so yeah pr primarily um the the efficiency element the fact it's renewable but also it's really good because it is a tried and tested technology which which you know people know exists in europe where it's such a, a mature technology and kind of touching on on the bit jeff mentioned about the difference between monoblocks and splits is all across Europe, you see people with air conditioning units out outside the house and they've got refrigerant, you know, pipe work going inside and you've got nice, lovely cooling fan core units inside their building. That's a heat pump technology that, you know, you've got really high efficiencies off of those units. So the concern at the moment when we're talking about efficiencies, et cetera, is, is the cost of electricity is so extortionately high comparatively. So as price rises are going up across our, our energy, um, uh, across the energy sector and, and what we're paying, Historically, although the cost of electricity is, yeah, uh, although historically, sorry, heat pumps are three times more efficient, the cost of electricity is four times the cost of gas. So switching technology may not have actually saved the homeowner any money on their bills. But now, as we see even the cost of gas rising as well, we're starting to see the efficiency of the heat pump really come into its own. And that's why it's such a good, a good technology to be talking about. Absolutely. I think we need to we need to see things like tariff reform as well with the electricity, um, uh, you know, and we need to see uh, obviously this decoupling of um, of uh, you know electricity prices tracking 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 gas, uh, for instance, wholesale gas prices is not it's no sensible way to do things. And I think there are there seem to be moves afoot to kind of try and write that, you know. Um, well, not so much over here. It's a point where nationalisation should be the the clarion call of like responsible governors. Governance, rather, yeah. Nah, it's like doubling down. No, <laughs> market's going to serve us. We don't care. We don't care what devastation uh, will follow, and we're not going to help anyone retrofit or insulate anything either. No, you can pony up. I'm sorry, Alex. Yeah, you, you go on ahead, Alex. No, I, th I think we we're touching up on anyways. It's just the f because the the thing is is that the the general conversation is you can't put a heat pump into, into a leaky building. And I think that it was interesting for you to explain the fact that 
the uh, the COP is is incredible, really good, obviously. But I think there is still that argument to be made, or to remind people that the fabric of the building has to be upgraded as well, because the cost of electricity is so high that we have to reduce the demand as well as uh, start int- introducing technology like heat pumps. It's not, as we said, it's not just a silver bullet. It's, a, it's something that works with other systems as well. You can't just expect them to uh, to just be there and solve everything without having to make any changes. I, I will say here, sorry for cutting in, that there are exceptions to this though. And it depends. Like ground source, which is a much bigger outlay than air source, there are some extraordinary stories. And, you, and the COPs you can get in some cases can be far higher. So, uh, you know, uh, you'd, you'd hear- What do you mean, Jeff? Well, you can get COPs, coefficients of performance of, in some cases, 500, you know, five to one or more, right? Um, the best one I've ever heard of, uh, which is just amazing, uh, there's a, pump, a heat pump expert called Mike Cotter in, um, in Cork. He did a job for Fota Island. They're a, a wildlife park uh, down in, in, in Cork. Um, and they were putting in a new tropical house, right? Um, so the animals in the tropical house needed, you know, high temperatures uh, all the time. But they put it in right next to uh, the penguins' enclosure, and the penguins have this uh, this lake, right? Um, and they, of course, want cold, colder than, than we have in Ireland. So what? So we, he put a water-based, uh, I think, it's a water source heat pump in there, which was uh, simultaneously generating heat for the tropical house. Um, and uh, cooling the water for the penguins at the same time as a byproduct, you know, um, it's just brilliant when you have kind of examples like that. That, that you know that you're 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 using both ends. And that's the thing with energy efficiency. It's about kind of a, it's like a game of pass the parcel or something. You're trying to pass on the energy, you know, uh, wherever you can, and find other uses for it. You know, um, uh, recycle the energy wherever you can, and, and, and avoid just just you know uh, wait, wasting. Uh, you know, uh, avoid having waste products and consider them as resources if you can. You know, yeah, I'm I'm still blown away by uh, Robbie McGrath from DRES uh, telling us that when he was working in Finland, they were running pipes out into the the Finnish sea that was still drawing out heat in winter, like in absolutely freezing cold water, like still working. You can still do it. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe. It's, it's, there's two kind of key things there and it's it's the technology itself like understanding the operating conditions of them and because they use refrigerant refrigeration cycles to to, to move energy around the, the the refrigerant which is acting as that medium for that energy transfer dependent upon which refrigerant you're using but generally the, you know they operate down to like the actual refrigerant themselves can it will go down to like minus 40 degrees um so the, even when it's minus five outside comparatively that's quite warm so you're able to move that energy around the, the reason ground source and, and water source heat pumps are so much more or can be so much more efficient is because it's a fixed condition that medium that energy source be it the ground or the water whether it's closed loop open loop etc um you've got much closer control over that temperature so that's always going to be let's say 12 degrees 15 degrees or whatever that that is going to be so you know throughout the year whatever that source of temperature is that you're moving inside to your building is going to be fixed that's a constant so actually your seasonal or your annual we call it scop so seasonal but essentially that's like your annual average of efficiency and that's a better measure that can then be really high because it's a fixed thing whereas obviously when we talk about air source heat pumps we can have a cop a cop is is you know um your efficiency output over input but it's at set conditions so what is the flow of water temperature coming out of that heat pump and what is the fixed ambient condition i.e is it 35 degrees in the summer 
But again, SCOP, we're talking about seasonal, so throughout the year. And throughout the year, the, the, the external conditions fluctuate so much. So in the winter, your heat pump is not going to be as efficient. Same as your gas boiler. The units aren't that efficient when it's really, really cold outside. And that's why you see a much more uh, greater fluctuation. But with the water source and ground source, it's, it's a more steady and higher temperatures are achieved. The fabric element is really key as well, because obviously every everyone talked about fabric first, and that's that's absolutely fundamental. We, we can't just look at any fit solution as one solution. We have to kind of take that systems thinking approach. But the whole leaky building element, a lot of people can think, oh, well, if your building's leaky, then your heat pumps can be really efficient, uh, inefficient, sorry, which is incorrect. And it's it's, it's not at all that the heat pump efficiency isn't changed at all by the fabric of the building. The heat pump efficiency is still going to have a COP of 2.5 or 3 or whatever it may be, but it's just going to be running for much longer because regardless of how efficient that heat pump is, you're, you're just throwing money out of your windows or your walls. Uh, that heat is just escaping all, all the same. So yeah, the, the, the fabric element is key. Like we need to get it right because otherwise we are just wasting energy. But there's a real opportunity to, to talk about kind of um, how energy efficiency and how reducing energy of buildings plays a role in understanding that that grid element of what we need to achieve. So in terms of up, upgrading our, our grid towards fully renewables, we don't have enough renewable source to, to supply what we need at the moment. So that's where we have to bring down our energy use within the houses first. So I suppose that's where we begin to get into the the, the article that you wrote. Heat pumps are not the answer. Because I think the... I mean, do you want to just tell us a little bit about why you wrote that one in particular? Because that you cover a lot of subjects and, I mean, you might well be bored to tears of talking about it. So just pick up on the bit you're interested in. By all <laughs> so... I was at a, a climate march um, a couple of months ago, and I um, I was approached by a lady who was there to write an article about it, and she was kind of talking about upcoming technologies and asked me what I do, and I said I work for a heat pump manufacturer. She said, "Oh, that's brilliant! Like, that's so amazing!" And um, she said, "Oh, you know, they're the future." And 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 then she said, um, "You know, heat pumps are just like electric cars. Like like it's it's what we need in the future." Um, and I was I was a bit stumped at that because yes it's part of the solution and definitely electrification is absolutely fundamental but we cannot continue this privileged life of thinking absolutely every single one of us needs to have a tesla on our driveways while there's people on the other side of the world whose houses are getting flooded and decimated by heat waves and their lives are getting upturned but so long as we've all got a tesla it's okay electrification is paramount i think i think a few a lot of people might not want a tesla as much anymore after the <laughs> over the last uh, few days to twitter you know? yes yes well, I mean, that, that's it like uh, electric cars they're the savior of the automobile industry not the planet correct <laughs> yes yeah and and so that there, there is there is a there is a differentiation there between electric cars and, and heat pumps because you know cars are they're a commodity aren't they um, but a lot of people do do look at cars and, and there is definitely an element where cars give people um, freedom of travel and transport and, and people who suffer with mobility issues who can't access, you know, who can't freely walk where they need to get or can't freely access or easily access public transport for various reasons. Like there's so much benefit to, to be had there aside from just the luxury element of what cars are. You know, the built environment, our homes, the amount of emissions that we contribute through using gas boilers, that needs to change. And heat pumps are going to be part of that, not the only solution, but part of that. But for various reasons, individual heat pumps 
cannot be deployed at the scale we need. Be it, you know, planning regs need to change because of sound limitations and, and also the, the the concern about um creating cooling corridors if if every single person in your in, in a city has has a has a heat pump. But then we start thinking about actually like the, the raw materials needed to to make electric cars, an example, or heat pumps or any of these things. And we've been doing a lot of work in, in our company recently and with a lot of the consultants who we work with. Um, and actually, dare I say, the whole supply chain across the built environment um, are really starting to tackle and talk about embodied carbon. So embodied carbon is that is that you know the understanding that fuel switching is one thing and, and, and reducing our operational energy is, is paramount. Um, and if we go towards renewables and theoretically um, electrification means providing the grid is decarbonized that we've got zero emissions at you know throughout operation but there are a host of emissions that we need to attribute to the manufacturer transport and and all of the logistics associated to getting these products to site and just making these products in the first place so that was kind of the, the thought process and that kind of what led me to start thinking right how do we need to think bigger picture what's the what is what's the kind of solution moving forward and and, and heat networks are such a such a key thing um working in london um over the last few years i've been privileged that i've got to work on many schemes which have gone through uh london planning and part of the gla they've got a, um, a heat hierarchy and although that changed with a new london plan the top of the heat hierarchy has always been about heat networks shared heating systems that's absolutely paramount there's there's all sorts of systems out there which utilize heat pump technology, bit water source, air source, or even exhaust air heat pumps. Um, and, and they can all connect into and play a part of this heat network element. So that's what I think is really interesting is 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 is, is looking at whole life carbon and how we can reduce that. And that's what that's where we really need to the manufacturer's responsibility is, is that that we need to do a lot of work to to be able to provide the data and that's in line with epds um or you know sibsi and letty have worked together to produce tm65 which yeah. is about to come out and get revised for tm65.2 um but that's looking at you know being able to collect this data and, and put it into reports and analysis so that we can see when, when we're doing new builds or retrofits what actually is the whole life carbon impact of these products of these buildings um and and that takes into account that heat pumps and other you know uh, technology out there generally mep systems or hvac systems have a life expectancy of 15 to 20 years the lifespan of a building can be 60 years um 20 by 2050 you know 80 percent of our building stock has already been built uh that that will exist in 2050 so there's there's at least one iteration of full life cycle products that are going to get installed end of life and new new products going in so that's why we need to start taking that kind of like, what's the next stage? What's the bigger picture? Not just fuel switch, go towards electrification, but let's bring down that whole life carbon. Yeah. Uh, um, you're into yeah. you're into Jeff's favourite subject at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I, I've taken an interest. <laughs> Hang on a second. Uh, I'm not muted yet. Um, I have taken an interest in this, yeah. Um, and um, I've even got, gone to the length of actually doing some embodied carbon calculations on on, on buildings. It's, it's a very fiendishly complex area um and it's the the 60-year thing i'd say i i know that's the the reference life period that's used in the uk for for buildings uh see so when you start when you're doing a life cycle calculation like an embodied carbon calculation in the uk um you're meant to, to, to the default is the that you're you're looking at the study period over 60 years and assuming the building has a lifespan of 60 years we know in the uk that the historic average stock replacement uh, for dwellings is about 0.5% per annum. So that indicates about a 200-year lifespan for dwellings. 
Whereas for commercial buildings, it's much shorter, maybe much less than 60 years in lots of cases, you know. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty in there. Uh, and there's a lot of assumptions being made about future manufacturing of, you know, what's the manufacturing of, of the next heat pump 20 years down the line going to be like, you know, um, how uh, the, the default position now is to assume that it's it's as, it's as dirty as uh, as it was today and that won't be the case it can't be the case um given, given the trajectory that we're, that we're heading you know um so uh i i do it's important to think in those terms and to think about a, a prolonged period of time of course it is um uh, for me i think one of the things i'm pleased with letty about um one of the many things i think that, that they've done well is that they they also set up front emissions targets um and i think that should be a really important part of the equation too, thinking about, you know, like the bind we're in now is that we need to radically decarbonize our, our society in such a way that within, in, built, in the built environment, it's about obviously doing whatever you can to, to, to prevent emissions through energy use in the building, but, and, and, and in retrofit as well, for instance, retrofitting to, to achieve that. But you've got to also uh, try and do it in a way that doesn't chuck a huge amount of carbon into the atmosphere up front. So it's like trying to play a, you know, a, a symphony or whatever um, with both hands tied behind your back, you know. Um, but, um, but there are solutions that can work there. And, and, it's, it is the, and the foundation of it when it comes to embodied carbon calculation and getting away from the kind of the marketing, you know, eco kind of uh, spiv kind of marketing that you, you can get in this space is uh, quantifiable, independently verified data. So things like environmental product declarations, VPDs, they're really, really important in this regard. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to see a manufacturer kind of in, in engaging in this way. And I know that I can actually um, remember when I was first looking at this, they were the first manufacturer uh, in, in HVAC equipment that I found a few years ago. They had a chiller that had an EPD. Um, uh, they don't yet have one, I think, for, for, for a heat pump at the domestic scale, but I assume that'll come. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be such a complicated drive because not only and, and it's skills as, as much as anything which is which is going to be a challenge here because not only do we need to have upskill you know so many people who work within our supply chain and 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 encourage more people to join uh to, to the workforce because we're so underskilled under resourced at the moment but not only do we need to kind of reskill and upskill uh people so that they can work on this different technology we need to try to encourage behavior change and, and skill set mindset uh, across the supply chain from from engaging with clients and building owners occupiers all the way down to kind of the installers who are actually fitting the kit to think not just how does this new technology work but what's the impact of this technology on the building and even before we select the the, the technology what is the carbon of of that building currently what's it going to be and you know what's it going to be at end of life or, or end of life of the product or end of life of the building whatever kind of time frame we're looking at it's not it's not easy there's there's a lot of work that needs to happen for sure yeah and what i would I, say is um from looking at these calculations um uh well you can take more of a whack in heat pumps to then say a gas boiler in terms of upfront carbon emissions there is no contest uh when it comes to looking at whole life carbon so if you take account of the operational carbon uh, associated with energy use um uh, and the the upfront there's it is very obvious very quickly uh, that switching to heat pumps and you know you know it's already massively better uh, than than a fossil fuel boiler um, and that's just going to keep on continuing to get better as the grid decarbonizes. 
Um, so, uh, and, and also, uh, w- one of the things that's, that's kind of interesting here is um, uh, uh, great to see the industry making progress on this. If I, if I heard myself say this even a year, a year ago, I would have probably thought, you know, I would have been rolling my eyes in the back of my head. Um, but the refrigerant gases, um, they're a really, really important issue here. Um, so uh, the way it works, uh, I mean, Ryan, you can you can go into this as well if you want, but the, the you you calculate the, uh, the global warming potential, or the, there is a global warming potential kind of value associated with the refrigerant gas in the, in the machine. Now, a given heat pump might have, depending on the, on the size of the heat pump, anything from you know, uh, a, a fraction of a, of, a, of a kilogram to a few kilograms, if we're talking about a domestic scale um, of refrigerant. Um, and um, there's lots of different kinds of refrigerants used. The, the ones that used to be used, uh, like um, R410A and so on, that are kind of being phased out, one, they, they had a global warming potential. I think R410A was 2088, if I recall correctly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that means that one kilo of that uh, in the machine is equivalent to 2,088 kilos or 2.088 kilos of CO2 sitting in the machine. Um, so if that and there's an assumed leakage rate then done in, the, in the calculations. But there's been there's been great strides made recently to phase out those refrigerants. I know Daikin were at the at the the uh, were one of the drivers on that with R32 and stuff. And and then um, and then propane is the, is the next one that we're kind of that has huge potential to kind of solve this issue. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's. Um, I'm really glad you touched that because uh, the refrigerant element is is ultimately what really drives up the embodied carbon of of these products that we're that we're talking about. Um, and we we have done a comparison of some on some of our commercial systems which were using 410A and are now using R32. Um, and I think it was like a, a 50 kilowatt light output in terms of cooling capacity and heating capacity. Uh, 50 kilowatt unit had with 410A, uh, uh, 21,000 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. Um, and then we moved towards R32 and it's a third of that. Um, so so huge, huge, sorry, go on, Dan. So like all this, so there are great strides being made in this technology, like reducing the embodied carbon, like full life cycle, all, all, all excellent stuff. Yet at the same time, fossil fuel industries, investing what was the figure the other day something like 400 million in opening in in the north sea alone uh and they're all rallying behind hydrogen <laughs> another farcical technology i don't know if you've followed the whitby village story it's somewhere on the scouse riviera where they're converting a village to hydrogen heating which seems absolutely farcical but like man this is the competition I, I would actually use your analogy of um, electric cars are saving the car industry and not the planet. Well, this is it. Hydro- hydrogen is saving the boiler industry, not the planet. Yeah. But on a domestic level, absolutely, there's there's a real place in the transition, energy transition for hydrogen. When we talk about pro- industrial processes, uh, elements of transport, which require really high temperature gases and, uh, and, and heat. Um, and, and hydrogen absolutely plays a part in that. There's no denying it. Um, but there are, there are countless commentators uh, who can provide copious amounts of, of data, which talks about hydrogen 
And aside from just the fact that you've got the nitrous oxide emissions, which everyone just seems to completely ignore, mm. uh, the efficiency, which is just apparently we just don't talk about. When we talk about saving the planet. Yeah, it's it. like Brexit, isn't it? You can't talk about it. <laughs> don't talk about it. Don't worry about it. Um, and I won't name any of the manufacturing brands who are absolutely promoting it, but it's it's like it's awful. It's it's not even greenwashing anymore. It's just it's corrupt. Like it seems awful. It's absolutely um, outrageous. Uh is that I'm, I'm not saying that hydrogen in its like some hydrogen boilers will will exist and, and some will be fine but at the moment they're talking about oh you know let's have hydrogen ready and i think this was an example that i used which came from somewhere else but like my driveway is ferrari ready i don't have a ferrari like and, and so I don't, so is everyone else there's all the talks about the different colors of hydrogen and unfortunately the majority of hydrogen makeup at the moment is just gray it's dirty hydrogen, which is absolutely continuing to pollute the atmosphere in, in the creation of that hydrogen. If we can get to blue and green hydrogen, then maybe that's a conversation. But mm. you still have the nitrous oxide emissions. And to get to blue and green hydrogen, you need a load of technology that doesn't currently exist in terms of di direct air capture and carbon capture storage. Um, yeah. it, the, the, the efficiency of it, if we talk about creating the energy at source to distributing the energy into your distributing the heat into your house it's staggering how just how much information there is that says hydrogen is not the solution and it's staggering how many politicians are working and talking and promoting with the ex-boiler manufacturers in the gas and oil industry to promote hydrogen it's it it really feels very corrupt <laughs> I mean, if, you just need, you need, I mean, you get around it. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe if the corruption is that endemic, if that's the, the reason that, um, then maybe you never get to the situation. But we've been lucky enough in Ireland that we, you know, because we had the Greens in government and because we have uh, a, uh, a kind of PR style system of, of government, you know, um, it's possible to get coalition governments. And uh, you then get situations where the Greens invariably want to get, um, the environment and you know buildings and energy and, and climate related portfolios in terms of the ministries, and they're anarchy enough. They're really wonky, you know. They're they're proper policy wonks. Um, um, so they so they understand this stuff and they can't be bought, you know. So they're they're the worst people uh, for, for that kind of a lobby, um, and uh, and and you get therefore requirements in building regulations and targets in, you know in in government policy to to roll out uh massive amounts of heat pumps so i don't understand where the issue is here because you know we have a proven technology um that's it's a mature technology um we've got major manufacturers behind us so Dude, you you do know where the problem is like the problem is money in it well i like, know it's, but, you it's know, always I'm, the problem like the the Strongest parallel, I think, for the, the situation we were discussing here, and I don't mean this in any sort of glib or flippant way, is abolition. Like for, for decades or at least 100 years, people understood that slavery was fundamentally evil. Like, you know, that sort of thing had happened, right, since time immemorial, folk had been enslaved, but until empire industrialised the process and created that feedback loop that precipitated the Industrial Revolution, no one had been able to dominate it or uh, enable it to grow in terms of being an industry like that. It just wasn't possible. Now, then all of a sudden, folk like the fossil fuel industry, which is actually inextricably linked to this whole discourse anyway, uh, 
yeah, they they're in a similar position. Like folk, you know, there were uh, industrial workers who went on strike in support of the the slaves on plantations. Manchester famously gave up sugar as a consequence for a period of time. You know, there are all sorts of, but like, it doesn't matter unless you've got the political will coming from the top, like you're describing with the Greens, Jeff, like people who are prepared to instigate some sort of serious change. Now, the fossil fuel industry is such that it sort of strikes me as they're only going to shut up if you pay them off, which is exactly what happened with abolition. Like we present abolition as this great achievement of uh, British tolerance. I don't know. And what happened was we paid the slave owners billions for their assets and we paid the slaves nish. That's what happened. And, you know, I think we only recently stopped paying it off or we're still paying it off or something. 2015. Yeah. Like we're in I a just similar, think you just except need, it's not just need... existential for people from Africa. It's, ex- it's an existential question for the whole of the planet. Like, man, is I that just... what we need to do? Just pay them off? I don't think so. I just think you need, look, I don't see why you can't have government who, who, are, who are willing to just say, look, you know, no, we're doing it. You know, clear off. It, it, should, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, uh, and um, I also think that one of the things I've, I've observed at times with, um, from a policy perspective in, in an Irish context, and I think in the UK, self-censorship from a policy perspective, I think is, it goes on a lot. People are afraid of their lives to put forward, you know, uh, a positive policy, particularly, you know, whether it's a civil servant or whether it's a government minister who's who's not in there long enough to really get a proper handle on the brief. And and so, so you don't put forward ambitious ideas. Unlike Liz, Liz Truss, of course, she did, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of that. It's about where, they, where the funding comes from for the politicians as well. Yeah, I know. Talk. It's not that. I mean, you know, when you look at the the, the stories about about um, campaign uh, funding donate or political donations in the UK, and you compare it to what goes on across the Atlantic, it seems pretty small beer, really. You know, I mean, your, your government can be bought off pretty damn cheap. You know, well, in the UK, you're bought off with your post uh, Parliament career, so directorships, yeah. jobs, the revolving door, book deals. That's a big one. If you look at who gets paid for books that sell nothing that are never going to sell anything, like Boris Johnson's famous or infamous novel. Uh, yeah. Anyone tried to buy you off, Ryan? Uh, I've been asked to go on time, celebrity, actually. So uh, I'm hoping to <laughs> hoping to join someone who's recently gone out there. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I, I think we can always have conversations about, like, the, the macro, you know, the politics and socioeconomic stance of, of what's happening. But... To a degree, we can only control what we can control. Um, and the, the gas and oil industry isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And, and, and we're still at a point where, where there is a reliance to use them. Um, because we can't, we can't, we absolutely aren't in a position where we can just switch off the, our, our, you know, our usage of gas and oil. What we don't need, however, is more gas and oil. Uh, and I know Jeremy Hunt has, has just released, you know, their, their recent ideas on tax and I think that the windfall tax proposal is actually building a wind farm, you get some money back. Uh, but if you build a wind, if you use a wind turbine whilst you whilst digging for more oil and gas, you get more money back. Um, 
if you look through the loopholes of their wits. So, oh my gosh. so they're encouraging more gas and oil exploration in oil fields, which is which is really detrimental towards, you know, actually what is the UK net zero plan, which Client Earth have taken them to court about and kind of found them guilty of, of not actually being on that trajectory. Um, so there's 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 obviously there's the whole energy how are we going to generate this energy where's that energy coming from be it renewable sources or otherwise but we also there's there's the what can we do in our own lives and and i think that's um the responsibility isn't on everyone it's not well it is but it's not on like it's you all four of us could agree right now we're never going to drive an internal combustion car again we're never going to eat meat we're never going to fly again um but it's not us who are promising to stop spilling oil into the sea there's only so much we can do um but there is obviously that that kind of consumer i hate to use the word consumer and talking about public but consumer demand and if we have that behavioral change if we start demanding electrification in our homes if we start using heat in a more efficient way and energy in a more efficient way uh, hopefully that will have that kind of that the market effect that it that it grows the heat pump industry in the direction we want and people stop relying or stop moving towards hydrogen maybe that's a bit of a naive hopeful view but, we'll but i think i think you, you make a really good point because there is there has to be a, a an acceptance a, a cultural shift as well i mean we mentioned that in a few podcasts but actually the, uh, the consumers, as you say, they have to ask for this. I mean, I can say for myself that when we changed our boiler, when we did uh, some work on the house after we bought it, it was a really old boiler. We were we were asking around and we were actively trying to find out what could be done to make the house more energy efficient. I was looking into the fabric as well and everything like that. I didn't even know about heat pumps back in the day. And I'm only talking about 2018. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, but I was actively trying. I really wanted to know these things. I really wanted to. I wanted to do my best possible. I had no one around me who was actually not, not the architect, not the builders, not everything around there. I could not find access to that information easily. And that I think that's obviously one problem. But I don't know from your perspective, what what can we do to change that perception and that cultural demand? Because you mentioned right at the beginning that there is also this aspect where people are having to sort of, well, not only just sell the benefits of you know the performance of a heat pump, but also now how to use it, how it's going to be changing the, the way you use your house. So there's actually a lot of things that I guess are making it a bit scary as well. If I put a heat pump, it's going to change some of my life uh, ways of doing things. I used to come in and turn the, hot, the heating on and that was it. Why do I need to make my life more complicated? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really, that's really key is how do you change society um, I'd like to say for the better, but obviously it's, it's not for us to decide if it's for the better or not. But how do you have such a huge impact and change on society without actually disrupting people's lives too much? Um, because people inherently don't love change, um, especially if they think it's going to make their lives disruptive or uncomfortable. Um, people want an easy life generally. So we've we've the, 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 first of all, like a heat pump, it's it's no different from a boiler. It's it's a renewable source of energy and heating but it's still you're still getting space heating you're still getting hot water um how you use it um the smarter you use it the more efficient you use it the the less you'll pay for your bills but if you want to use it in the same way that you use your boiler um in terms of on off ramp the temperature up etc etc there's there's no reason you can't do that there's high temperature heat pumps that are on the market um which can achieve the same flow temperatures of, of your boiler um, so there, there's loads there. There's but there's there, there's two key things that I think 
need to happen or, or kind of are happening. And you actually, one of your podcast, the first podcast of yours I listened to, which wasn't actually the first one you ever did, but the first one I listened to was with um, Leah Robinson and Joe Allsop. Um, and and I thought that was such a fantastic podcast because they both spoke, there's a lot they spoke about, which was really, really interesting. Um, but one of the key things was to get from kind of like fossil fuel heating towards where we need to get to, it's not a straight swap um it, it can be absolutely if you've got the finances available and if you know what to do and, and you've kind of you've got the information and the guidance from the industry but if you're just an average homeowner this is recorded not visually isn't it so inverted commas an average homeowner um then what we need is that industry guidance that uh, uh you know a boiler installer for example should be able to come around and say okay yep yeah, let's upgrade your boiler um maybe there's still another five years on it so we just do some service and maintenance but now we're going to lower your flow temperature and and start moving towards lower temperatures first and it's those kind of step changes that we can make to improve efficiency boilers don't need to be running at 70 80 degrees um so let's lower the flow temperatures first and let's move towards from high temperature high carbon systems to low temperature low carbon systems that's a, that's a it's a great point ryan the one i was kind of uh one i was wanting to make actually anyway um which is you know, uh, this well, is really clever, a... Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's just the fact that you know, like um, condensing boilers have been sold for years off the basis of very high efficiencies, but they only achieve those efficiencies when they get into condensing mode, and they have to be operating at lower temperatures for that. Um, and you know, so in other words, what we're talking about is a change in behavior that should be occurring irrespective of how you generate the heat. So uh, it's it, it's not a heat pump problem. It's 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 a it's a behavior problem more generally applied. You know. Yeah, it's 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 systemic, really. It's not just, and it's not just because I don't want to say, oh, it's the fault of the plumbers, for example, over the last fifty plus years, because it's it's absolutely not. It's, you know, it's it's the the building rakes is everything because you look at public sector buildings um, and you've got schools which are running around with high temperature heating systems. Um, I did a big project with um, a quite famous um, or well-known academy in South London where they've got several kind of academies around around dotted around London and they were looking at how they can make um, make use of a public sector decarbonisation scheme and the funding that was available there. Um, they wanted to kind of move away from their kind of CHP and boiler systems and, and go towards heat pumps as an example. And I just said, well, bef before we actually do that, and absolutely you can, but it was the same as I think you were talking about earlier, kind of that user experience element, how can you get people to understand what it's going to be like without doing the investment and the works first. Uh, and I said, let's just lower your flow temperatures. Let's, you know, you've got 70 degrees hot water going around these massively oversized radiators anyway. Let's lower your flow temperatures to 60 degrees, see if any of the teachers or the students notice. And then two weeks or a month after that, let's lower it to 50 degrees. And again, see if anyone notices. The system's running for such a long time anyway throughout the whole day that no one notices. And straight away, before you've done anything in terms of changing products or technologies, you've saved energy, you save money, and you save carbon just from doing that simple, that simple step change. And then in doing that, suddenly you're saying from a from a user experience point of view, we're ready for a heat pump. We're ready for a low carbon, low temperature technology. So um, should we be yeah. doing this to our friends and neighbors? Like yes. Just sneak into their boiler rooms. Yeah. You know, when you're off for a week. <laughs> what what were you? Oh, nothing. Wasn't, wasn't doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see if anyone notices what they're going to do. Yeah. I, I, Look, pal, I'm saving the planet. I wasn't looking at your linen. 
It's, it, does, I mean, it does make a difference. It really yeah. does. I, I put mine down to 45 and it's the, the radiators, I still feel hot. I, I, I don't want to leave my hand on them in the house. We've just started using it now as, as it's getting a bit colder and it does make a difference. It does work. And even we put down the, the flow temperature of the hot water and I know we mustn't put it down too low, obviously for, for health reasons, but even then our, our bill went down, but even the electricity company I think because they wouldn't bill us for some time. I think they got, had to get someone over to double check that we weren't lying about how much we used. So it does have an impact and it didn't change anything in terms of our, our comfort. And I think that's the other thing that we have to remember is that people all are interested about comfort. They're not interested in, in kilowatt hours and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, some are, of course, and, and you're not, no one's going to say, no, I don't care about the, my carbon consumption or carbon use. I mean, some actually are, unfortunately, but it's the comfort side that's really important. I think also from the narrative, we have to talk about that a lot more. And I think also to bring it back to the people installing these, these heat pumps, they have to have that narrative as well. They can't come in and talk on a, from an engineer's perspective. They have to talk from a user's perspective and how comfortable they're going to be, how healthy their family is going to be. And those aspects are the ones that we need to push forward. And that dialogue or that narrative has to be embedded and ingrained in the industry far more than the technical side. I think the technical side would probably quite well serviced there it's how do we talk about it in a different way that actually now that resonates with uh, the actual end user yeah I, I i completely agree with that and um whenever you talk about any kind of change of, of of what people use in their lives um in their homes comfort is paramount like again going not not changing the way people live uh, i think about you know my nan bless her who's sat in her little bungalow and she's, she's got the heating on. Uh, she turns it off now because she's so worried about like energy and and because you know my sister also works in kind of similar sectors to what we we're talking about. So and and I think one of my cousins as well is doing like a PhD in this kind of thing. So between us, every type, single time one of us pop around, we start talking about to her about the environment. So I think we've kind of put the fear of God into her. So we have to tell her like, listen, you're not going to be the problem. Don't worry about it. Keep your house warm. Your health is important, and we can't ignore so many vulnerable people um who, who need health you who, sorry who need heat for, for so many various reasons but it's also then that balance of there's there's people who can afford to heat their homes and want to, like high temperatures comfortable temperatures etc and that can be achieved with heat pumps that's not a problem at all but it's about how how do you have that conversation and say listen we're going to fuel switch move towards electrification but the comfort levels you're still going to have is fine but we also need to be able to have the conversations that do talk about the efficiency because for people who haven't been turning their heating on because it's between heating or eating at the moment and they're really in this you know that bottom bracket and struggling financially for so many various reasons how do we have how do we bring those people on board and that unfortunately does have to be a conversation absolutely about comfort but then also about efficiency about how this technology providing there's grants and funding available which there is for social housing and, and, and those kind of elements if we remove the capex element through various schemes that are available in the market, how do we ensure that your operational costs are going to be financially viable for you to for you to utilize this system? And for me, it's that if you can cover those two ends of the spectrum, then everyone else in the middle, we've got answers. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I also think with heat pumps, one of the, the real challenges here is. You're trying. You're giving people a very counterintuitive message, which is um, you you'll save more energy by leaving your heating system on all the time. Uh, so rather than this kind of the the this long history of behavior of 
you know, uh, stop starting approach, stop start approaches to heating where you're, you're blasting heat in and then dropping it down very quickly. This idea of trickling heat in at low temperature instead. It's a challenging message to get across. And I think from, from a communications perspective, that's something that uh, an awful lot of work needs to be done on. You know, I, th- I think it, it, it's, uh, it's not, it shouldn't be that hard to explain to people. Um, but it just requires a bit of thought, you know. I think, yeah. I think, Jeff, we should start using your adopt a penguin campaign. I think that's the one. Well, this yeah, is it. Yeah. When you were talking about the co- the cold corridors stuff as well, Ryan, I started thinking there are penguin corridors, <laughs> the cooling <laughs> corridors. You know, <laughs> there are. That's that's um, from a city planning perspective, and that's why I think the new build side is so interesting because um, there are so many sources of heat which currently exist across cities or from a retrofit from a retrofit perspective if you think about london you think about the tube and the whole uh, network there of just heat which is trapped underground which we can utilize um but also for, as i say from a new building city planning perspective one of the hugest markets we've seen that have grown over the last two years because of covid is data centers because so many mm. people have moved towards you know electronic forms of communication webinars etc cetera, etc cetera. so Data centers are growing. Data centers are just a huge energy source or, or energy demand for cooling. We can take that heat out of those buildings and put it into a network and pump it around houses. There's no like edge edge data centers are a thing that people have been talking about for a while. There's small schemes. Um, it, it It's difficult because it involves cross collaboration across the value chain and making sure that you've got the right people buying in. And then the benefits are, 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 are huge because when you start talking about that, your your energy balancing element becomes really exciting because then actually the demand on the grid, you can have smart grid, smart response, the, the what people are paying for in terms of their operational use can be controlled. You can you can introduce batteries and all sorts. Yeah, it becomes really interesting. I will say from a carbon perspective though, uh, and it slightly counteracts what my article was, which is from a whole life carbon point of view. Uh, the Green Building Council recently reduced an analysis that they'd done with um, like one click LCA and various other consultants. And they said um, the carbon savings from local heat energy sources, i.e. a local heat pump versus a kind of a central communal network, uh, the carbon savings are actually negligible from an embodied carbon point of view. So you're not saving much carbon from an embodied carbon perspective. But the carbon savings come from the operational element, which is the fact that now we're having huge efficiency gains across a whole network, which then means you're getting huge reduction requirements in the energy generation for that for that whole grid. I, I'm really interested in heat networks. And I think um, I have grave, I think there's a lot of potential there, but I have grave concerns about um, what we've seen in terms of re- real world data on actual Heat loss from from uh, from uh, high temperature heat networks, stuff in particular in the past, um, and uh, overheating risk, and particular in places like London, um, I'd be really, really. And I I'm talking to you from a pod in my uh, uh, apartment building where I live, um, which is heated by a combined heat and power plant uh, in the car park under, uh, uh, downstairs, um, and uh, that then this high temperature heat circulated around the building. Um, it's a great building, lots to commend about it, but uh, the corridors get very hot, you know. Yeah. Um, one of my neighbours uh, was actually, uh, when we were talking about this, he's, he's been experimenting with, and he's got a young kid, so be careful about this, um, was talking about uh, leaving his front door and his flat open all the time 
so you can get uh, the free heat <laughs> from the corridors, you know. So um, that that would be a concern for me. Um, it, it, uh, it is it, absolutely. Sorry to cut across you. It is, and that's why there's fifth generation networks. So it's all about ambient heat networks. Mm. So be it, in a heat network, you know, we can talk about it at building levels, so like high rise apartments, or it can be town level or city or whatever. Um, regardless of the scope of what we're talking about, it, it's all to do with getting that load balancing to understand what the requirements are but we can generate heat um and, and pump that around a network at 25 degrees you then mitigate the need of you then mitigate the overheating concerns which mitigates mm. any need for mechanical cooling or additional ventilation requirements um and again we're operating at lower temperature so it can be much more efficient and there's various technologies heat pumps being one of them but there's various technologies which exist which can utilize low temperature heat networks to then provide you with your hot water yeah there's a lot of opportunity out there and then also from the um the kind of wider energy element a lot of the energy companies and, and a lot of talk and, and kind of interest at the moment is the kind of heat as a service aspect so mm. now we move away from individual homeowners paying and it, of course in in apartments etc you need the whole landlord to buy into the whole scheme etc but if you're talking about individual domestic housing you no longer have to place complete importance um, on the individual homeowners to be buying and, and funding through government schemes or through their own private kind of investments and, and, and funding. Um, they're no longer having to pay for the product. It can be part of a heat as a service, or maybe they don't own the product and it's leased out from a manufacturer. Um, and then the manufacturer takes it back at end of life. Like there's there's so much opportunity for innovation which can help bring down whole life carbon emissions, but also really massively help with heat pump deployment into the market, but drive down costs from a user perspective. Like we're big fans of like the ESCO idea. The, mm. it, it's, it's a, it seems like such an obvious bloody solution. And like the problems that we're talking about, I mean, they're all resolvable. Like it's just getting people to engage with the, the process. Uh, big right. caveats about, about the ESCO thing. I know we're, going, we're shooting way over, but um, ESCOs, th there is definitely something there. But, but they're open to abuse. Like, there have been lots of, historically, like, lots of problems. They've been yeah, yeah. utter guff so far, yeah. but like, it doesn't mean you can't do it right. Right, I'm, I'm calling... That's we're it, yes. strolling past time uh, now. We're, we're, we're getting into long territory. And one of the things that uh, Ryan and I had touched on in our pre-podcast chat was notions of diversity within the heat pump industry which is something we had did talk sort of talk about with joe and nathan when he was on although i don't know if mm. we spoke about it when we were actually recording on record it was uh, yeah yeah nathan nathan brought it up as well sorry carry on no no, no jump in yeah yeah i was just going to give you the floor anyway so yeah okay yeah it's, um, it's it's you know we work in a, a male dominated industry in construction but also especially within the heating environment but it doesn't have to be that way what what we have when we talk about the heating industry specifically is not only do we have an, an aging workforce um, and a huge demand on that workforce at the moment so a load of a load of the workers that we currently have who are putting in heating systems you know there's like 150,000 heating engineers in the UK roughly um, many of them are going to be out of work soon because they're going to go into retirement etc so that then places a real opportunity for us to open up what we're talking about and i know nathan gambling has done lots of work on on this in terms of in, in terms of trying to promote diversity it's really important and i i liked 
what Leah and Joe to reference them again, one of the things they said was about kind of changing the narrative about what we're trying to do. We're not trying to encourage people into this um, into this industry and just call yourself a plumber or a boiler engineer or a heating installer or whatever you're going to call yourself. Let's let's rephrase it. Let's let's change the narrative to climate champions or whatever. You've got so many young people who dare I say I'm not even of this generation now. I'm technically a millennial, and you've got now like the the Gen Zers or what you know. So many people, if you look at the polls and the statistics, are wildly enthusiastic about the climate crisis, as in wildly enthusiastic about trying to be an activist to make a difference. And there's a real potential there to pull in. Um, and it's not an age thing, absolutely, because because we should be pulling in people from all different age categories. But using kind of their narrative and what they're talking about, I think there's a real opportunity to unlock our sector and try to make it open to people of all backgrounds, all ethnicities, gender identities, ages, mental or physical disabilities, any kind of let's like enjoy and explore all of our differences. And let's all just work together because we cannot continue. We can't solve this problem with the same thinking that has got us into this problem. Yeah. So that's it. Four white blogs just solve diversity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big up. Like, I think you're right, though. Uh, we've got to give the Zoomers some opportunity. They can have climate. Like the rest of it. I mean, that's our parents. It's not even ours, to be fair. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's a tough one. I mean, what's it like in Ireland, Jeff? Like, do you see any diversity there? Because, like, I, being English and a little bit uh, jingoistic about the Irish, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would tend to think probably wrongly. <laughs> well, yeah, you tend to. Uh, no, I mean, it's, um, uh, it's probably quite similarly characterised in terms of the construction industry, but there's, there's been a real recognition of exactly the same points that you were making, Ryan, um, that we need to... You know, like it's it's frankly absurd to be missing out on half the population. You know, as uh, potential advocates and workforce uh, in this area, and the culture of the of the whole industry massively needs to change. So um, that's something that has come into the discussion, for instance, in particular with regard to retrofit. Um, and uh, I mean, it reminds me. In, in some ways, you know, the, the culture that we have to move away from construction, uh, there's no better opportunity to, to do it than in retrofit because it's, it's like um, Jay Stewart, uh, the sustainability consultant, said years ago when he was setting up um, uh, Ecofix, a, a retrofit contractor back in 2009 with uh, with uh, the guys in behind DRES, actually, with Durkin Residential. Um, they sat down with our contractors and they said, guys, because it was invariably guys at the time, you have to remember that the work you're doing here, it's not a construction site. It's in people's homes and their living rooms and so on, you know. Um, and you have to completely reconceive of your role as a consequence of that. So, it feel, you know, with retrofit in that regard, it feels like there is scope for some sort of a clean break. Um, and with people coming into it for, for, for other reasons. Um, um, and... Um, uh, you know, like we'd see in the industry, much like in the UK, certain areas where you get more diversity, in particular among, uh, I suppose, architecture is better than a lot of areas, for instance, in that regard. Um, but with regard to contracting and stuff, there's no question that there's, you know, that we have not scratched the surface. You know, that there, there's there's rare exceptions. Um, but yeah, uh, the whole 
you know, culture of the industry needs to completely radically transform uh, to, to uh, and men need to be making active efforts to kind of do that quite clearly, you know? Um, yeah, it's, but uh, it's a huge one. It's a huge challenge. I don't know how, to, how to, to, it's very frustrating and I don't know how to get this, the, 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 uh, the change that we need as quickly as we need in that area, you know? I, I, I will say just one last point. Um, there's, there are there is hope uh, i do believe um i've i've, I've come across um a, a wonderful incredible like woman called uh, alexandra knight who actually worked with a few of my colleagues at daikin um karen perry and that's kind of how i got introduced to it uh, into what alex alex does and she's got a an initiative a course program called stem amazing so stem and amazing together i don't know if you guys have come across this but essentially what she's doing is she's she's kind of getting you know women in the industry who are kind of champions and, and really promoting their work to then enter into schools and educate, you know, young young children um, of all kind of genders and background, but but showing especially young girls that there are women in the industry who are making huge successes, who are leading businesses, who are doing all sorts. And there's um, the Institute of Refrigeration recently they've they've got um like the women in Institute of Refrigeration recently won an award for kind of the work they're doing and yeah in that whole space which is a which is a segment of, of what the heat pump world is um there's been some huge stories of success there so yeah I, I would say that kind of work like if, if you can look into STEM amazing give it a google um sign up you can be an ambassador even like as a as a, as a bloke like we could be an ambassador and, and help promote it and, and share it um so those kind of things i think i think are, are really key to this kind of to this message like growing yeah all right well we'll get that in the show notes um if you share a link i've just googled it i came up with two options so we'll we'll find the right one and we'll put it in the notes all right well on that hopeful note perhaps we'll call time is there anything do you have anything coming up that you'd like to plug or anything you'd like to say before we we finish ryan I don't actually. I've, I've I've got a very busy couple of months just with with work, so nothing that I can outwardly think that I'm about to actively promote. Um, so yeah, I just thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. All right, absolutely. Well, yeah. Cheers. Um, yeah, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Go on, Acon, ACB. Subscribe to Passive House Plus. Advertise if you can, and if you need help with your marketing communications websites, give Alex and I a shout. And if you want to talk about any of the things we've been talking about, uh, we're setting up the consultancy off the back of the podcast. And so um, just talk to us. You can email us at uh, zap at eiux.agency or any of the other. I mean, LinkedIn, you'll find us. All right, big up. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.